Well, I'm breaking my series called Marriage Matters this weekend, and, and you know, all of us know that it's been all over the news and everything, that we are in the midst of one of the most destructive wildfires in Colorado history, that thousands of people, about 10,000 people have been displaced, hundreds of homes have been destroyed, and so this tragedy and this, this wildfire has um, developed pain and hurt and discomfort for thousands upon thousands of people. Now, just, just so we're clear and so you kind of understand that really and truly our church, God has blessed our church greatly, and we actually minister to three different groups of people. We minister to the groups of people that come like you uh, through one of our four services on the weekends. You attend here. Uh, you're a part of us with worship service and those things. But there's also a group of people that we, we speak to, and they would consider us, our, uh, uh, they would consider us their church uh, by, the, by the Internet. And then also we have another group of people that are radio listeners on KGFT in Colorado Springs, Sunday mornings, 830. Uh, We hear from them. They email us, and and they would consider us their church. And so I think it's very, very important that a church understands that what happens is, should happen, is outside of their four walls. And that God has a word for this community. And God has a word even in the midst of tragedy, even in the midst of difficulty, because he is our hope. He is what gives us hope. He is what gives us strength. Strength. He is what gives us encouragement. And so we need to be willing as a church that we are not driven by sermon series and sermon outlines and all of that stuff. We are driven by him and him alone. And so I'm always going to have freedom and I'm always going to take the freedom that as God redirects me, I'm going to interrupt our sermon series. And so your notes are just like blank because this happened on Wednesday afternoon. And so they're, they're, they're just going to be blank. That's, they didn't have enough time. Life group leaders, uh, uh, my bad. I'm sorry. We're, we're going a different well, so you guys listen well. So let me tell you what we're doing as a church, how we're mobilizing under Pastor Corey's direction on Wednesday. Uh, we sent out an email to many, to all of you that are on our, in our database, and if you did not get an email, a couple of things. Either we don't have an email on you, uh, it went to junk, or we have an old address. So if you didn't get an email about the food drive and care and share and everything else that we're doing, then you may want to check your, your junk folder if it's not there. Then make sure that we have your up-to-date email. You can email us at email us at Fellowship the Rock org and we'll update your record so that you're clear on this. So we've started a food drive that we will give to Care and Share uh, Monday after, Monday morning. Andrews will deliver the church and uh, the truck in Colorado Springs uh, to Care and Share. We'll be doing it next weekend. So if you didn't have a chance to participate, we've had 23 families donate their homes. So that displaced people, because Colorado Springs cannot handle it all. And so we have 23 families, and if you want to do that. You let us know that as well. And then also uh, on Wednesday, uh, Chris Nichols with City Council uh, came and and met with Pastor Corey. And and City Council is opening up the convention center on Monday uh, for displaced people to resource them about legal questions and and where they can get resources and financing and help and all of that is available. And City Council has invited us and come to us about providing spiritual counseling. And so Monday at 8.30, from 8.30 to 5, we'll have our prayer partners here. We'll have uh, soul care here. And that people that need spiritual counseling can come here and can receive that. So that's what your church is doing. That's what we're a part of. We'd, we'd love to have you if you haven't had a chance. Uh, because this is when the church should be the church, right? This is when the church... 
the community should be able to look to the church to speak a word of hope and a word of encouragement into tragedy. Now, this morning, I want to talk to you about this issue of how to handle tragedy in your life. Now, listen, if you're not going through tragedy right now, uh, good for you. And, uh, and that is great. But here's the deal, and we all know this. That wasn't sarcastic. I didn't mean it. Sar- it did sound it sarcastic, didn't it? So if you're, if you're not going through tragedy right now, uh, that is great. But here's the deal. We live in a fallen world. We live in an imperfect world. And we all know this. If you're not in tragedy right now, one day you will walk into tragedy. One day you're going to have to deal with tragedy. And listen, maybe you've dealt with tragedy in your life and you haven't recovered from it. You see, we're, now, we're nowhere near starting the physical recovery of this fire. But we know this. Physical recovery always takes less time than emotional recovery. Emotional recovery, when tragedy and difficulty and pain and hurt and loss hits you, sometimes it's easier to recover physically, right? But sometimes the emotional, and a lot of times, the emotional recovery takes much longer. And there are some people that do not get this, do not understand this. And there are some people that have had loss and tragedy in their life. And emotionally, they have never recovered because maybe they don't know the principles. They don't know what healing is about. This morning, we're going to deal with that. Four principles about this issue. When tragedy hits you, when disaster hits you, when that storm hits you, the first one is this. God is pleased. God is pleased when we are willing to mourn the loss. We just got to get this. We just got to understand this because here's the issue. We all have feelings. We all have emotions. And God is pleased when we're willing to... Listen, I don't know about you, but when I watched the news along with my wife, Karen, and we started seeing the devastation and the fire and everything that was going on, it created motion for us, Right? I mean, it creates motion for you. It may give you fear. It may give you anger. It may give you uh, resentment. It may give you insecurities. It could even give you uh, depression. And so, so, but here's the deal. A lot of people don't know what to do with those feelings. I mean, what do you do with those feelings when you go through tragedy in life and you have that loss and you have that pain? What do you do with those emotions and and feelings? Because here's, here's the deal. If you don't go into emotional recovery, if you do not deal with your emotion, the emotional recovery will always take longer. And I hate to tell you this, but there are some people that have never recovered emotionally because they don't know how. You hear people all the time, and especially super Christians are, are those that are more spiritual than the rest of us. And they tell you, you know why? You're, it's just a house. It's just bricks and mortar. It's just things. Can I tell you, that's not even balanced. That's not even, that same group of people will tell you, you're not even supposed to cry at a funeral. Because we, we don't grieve like the rest of the world that doesn't have hope. See, there are some people that tell you, you know what you do with your feelings? When those feelings come, when you go through loss and you go through tragedy, you just stuff it. Just stuff the emotions down. You know what I've learned? When I stuff the emotions, my stomach keeps score. Right? I mean, it's a false belief to believe that, you know what? All you got to do with that emotion, you just stuff it. Or some will tell you, I just deny it. Act like it's not even there. You know, just repress it. Just stuff it. Just ignore it. Don't accept it. But, but you see where Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, he said, blessed are those who... Blessed are those who mourn. Why? 
for they will. What a great promise. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. In other words, in the margin of my Bible, you know what's written in the margin of my Bible? It is okay to grieve. Do not let anyone tell you that it is unhealthy, unspiritual to grieve. The most healthy thing you can do, if you want to emotionally recover from hurt, if you want to emotionally recover from stress or or from loss, is be willing to grieve. In other words, you have to face your feelings. You don't repress them. You don't deny them. You don't, I mean, they're real. So what does it mean biblically to mourn? You know what it means? It's just simple as this. Tell God how you feel. Listen, I've watched loss as a pastor. I've been around death, and I've been around terminal illness, and I've been around uh, crisis uh, my whole ministry as a, as a uh, Pueblo uh, uh, police chaplain for a number of years. Man, I walked with a lot of families because through crisis and through hurt and through pain. Man, I'm telling you, you can't ignore and deny the feelings. And, well, you just tell God how you feel. I mean, there's a story in John chapter 11 when, when Mary and Martha had a brother, Lazarus. And Lazarus was sick, right? And, and he didn't get good news from the doctor. And so they had a, a little bit of a prayer request. They sent word to Jesus, right, that our brother Lazarus is sick. Jesus, was like, he was like a half a day's walk from them. It took him four days. Fact is, even the disciples got upset. And even the disciples said, You know that deal about Lazarus, and you need to get going. And, and Jesus looked at them and says, You know what? Lazarus' illness will not end in death. And they didn't totally get that, but it took Jesus four days. Now, theologically, we know why. Theologically, he waited four days because in their culture, the Jews believed that it wasn't until the third day that the Spirit left the body. And so Jesus knew that if he showed up before the three days was out, that when he raised Lazarus from the dead, that the Jews would say it was not a miracle, that he really wasn't dead, he was just asleep. And so we know, see, see the crazy deal about, the crazy deal about crisis and hurt and pain, we think that comes into their life because of the absence of God. And yet Jesus was right with them. And Jesus had a, a plan. So how did they mourn? The same way that Job did, the same way that J- Joseph did, the same way that David did. And I, I could go through Scripture. I could prove this out in so many different ways. But in John chapter 11, verse 21, when Jesus showed up and the funeral had happened, all the family and relatives had already gone back home, just Mary and Martha. And he shows up and Martha meets him in verse 21 and says these words. She says, Man, and how many times have we said these words? If you had been here. Why did you let this happen? You could have stopped this. Why did it take you four days? Why were you absent? And Martha says, if you had been here. Wow. Can you imagine saying this to God? He didn't rebuke her. He didn't say you need to deny those feelings. You're less of a Christian. He said, if you had been here, my brother would have lived. If you had have done something, if you had have responded, if you had have taken care of this. See, God is pleased when we mourn in tragedy. God is pleased when we mourn in loss. The fact is, Mary, when she saw him for the first time, Jesus, she said exactly the same thing. Why did you allow this to happen? 
See, here's the deal about mourning, and this is why God says he's pleased when we mourn, because when we mourn, it is when God pulls close. I mean, in his word, it says that I am close to who? I am close to the brokenhearted. You know, you know what counselors tell us, and in, in my days as a Pueblo police chaplain and for sure as, as a pastor, can I just tell you this? You know the, difficult, the most difficult mourning that you will go through, the most difficult tragedy that you will go through? A tragedy that you have no control over. That marriage that blows apart. And you did everything you could for that marriage to be a success and for that marriage to be healthy. The betrayal of a friend. You tried to be a great friend to them. The waywardness of a the waywardness of a child. That you raised them in church and you took them to church and you got them in Awanas and you got them to memorize scripture as a kid and then and you did the very best you could to live a Christian example for them in the home. And they go a different direction. The loss of a job after you've hit every bench mark they have given you. The loss of a loved one. The loss of a home, the loss of a dream. And how many times do we ask God, why? Why did you let, the, why weren't you here? Why didn't you take care of this? See, there's some people when, when crisis hits, there's some people that will criticize Christianity and say, well, wait a minute. That Christianity stuff, that's a crutch. Listen, let me tell you this. It is not a crutch. It is the whole wheelchair. Christianity is the whole wheelchair. It's what we stake our faith in. It's what we put our trust in. It is the whole wheelchair. That's why his word says in Psalms 46, 1, says, God is our refuge and strength and our ever-present help in trouble. Man, grief is a part of life. Grief is a part of life. Grief is a part of tragedy. That's why he says, as a mother comforts her child, what a wonderful promise. So I'll, I'll comfort you. That he brings us comfort. You see, God shows his presence strong in tragedy. The first thing God wants us to do when we walk through tragedy for emotional healing is to be willing to mourn. The second thing is this, is he wants us to be willing to acknowledge or to encourage each other. In other words, that we pull close together and we speak truth into each other's life and encourage one another. In 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 7, here's what his word says. His word says, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of compassion and the God of, man, a God of all comfort. Not just a little bit, not just some of it, but the God of all comfort. Who comforts us in our troubles. The troubles that others caused in our life. And oh, and guess what? The troubles that we caused. And this word comfort is not some word comfort that gives us warm fuzzies and makes us feel good. No, it is a stronger comfort than that. It means to strengthen weak knees, to give endurance and to give perseverance and to speak truth into someone's life. And so he goes on in, in, in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Let me just tell you something. You know the reason some Christians cannot comfort you in your troubles? Because they've never felt the comfort of God in their life. That's why believers say, deny it, stuff it, just act happy. Because they've never known the comfort of God in their life. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. 
For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into here, here's the reason or this justify. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. We have to receive the comfort of Christ before we can comfort others. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patience, endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as, as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in your our comfort. See, the most d- dangerous thing, and it's just so typical, what people do in crisis what people do in tragedy, whether it's personal tragedy or it's a tragedy that we're looking at at the Waldo Canyon fire is this. It's just normal that people isolate. The most dangerous thing that you can do, and that's why I'm so, that's why I'm so driven about this issue of being a, a participating member of a local body in a church so that you come into to community with other believers that can encourage you and speak truth into your life, is that what happens is a lot of people, when they go through tragedy, you know what they do? They isolate. Nobody will understand what I'm going through. If they know what I'm going through, they will judge me. If they know what I'm going through, they will not accept me. If my friends know what I'm thinking, if they know what I'm dealing with, if they know all that stuff, that they, and can I just tell you this? That's where Satan wants you. Because healing from God is found in community. And the last thing that Satan wants in your life and the last thing that Satan wants in my life is healing and comfort. But the Bible tells us that sometimes we have to force ourselves to walk into community with other believers because we need each other, right? I mean, you, you see it in the, 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 the news uh, briefings and things that are going on in the news. You just see people standing close together because why? We need each other. You need their presence. You need their perspective. You need their encouragement. You need their support. You need them to be able to speak truth into our life. That's why I'm so adamant about being part of a, just a local body and not isolating. So you can find healing through the, through the ministry of, of others. And, and I could, and we, just real quickly, we have a couple in our church and they got a call and uh, their grandson walked through a, a tragedy and and it was the night of their life group and he said we got off the phone and we said I don't know if we should even go boy we are so hurting and we're in such deep pain I don't even know if we could control our emotions and they decided to go ahead and go and from his testimony he says I don't know where we would be without our life group how they came around us and prayed for us and encouraged us and supported us Listen, it is normal for you to try to isolate, but I'm telling you, you have to fight against that. So God is pleased when we mourn. God is pleased when we encourage one another. And then here's the thing that keeps emotional recovery from happening in most people's lives, and that is this. God is pleased when we are willing to get rid of all bitterness. We live in a time where there are more bitter people than we've ever had. because they, and this, You know what? This may be where a lot of you are this morning. If you've gone in through loss, you've gone through hurt, you've gone through pain, and you cannot move forward because this issue of bitterness. Here's what it says about Job, and in a couple of weeks, we're going to start looking at his life. We're looking at this new series, Breaking Point, when, when the unexpected happens in life and when God shows up and how he ministers to you and how you deal with all of that stuff. And so here's what it said of Job in Job 21, 25. Another man dies in bitterness of soul, never having enjoyed anything good. You know what Job's saying? 
Some people have bitterness, and they, they live and they die with bitterness, with no happiness and with no joy. That they just they walk through tragedy, and, and, and instead of becoming better, they are bitter. In fact, is in one of the interviews that we heard that Karen and I listened to, it was a couple that lost, like, everything, and the husband looked into the camera and says, you know what, we've decided, we've lost everything. But we've decided we're going to be better because of this. We're not going to allow ourselves to be, and he used the word, we're not going to allow ourselves to be bitter, that we'll rebuild, we'll start again, we can, we can do this. I mean, we're mourning the loss of a house and all that, but you know what, we're moving on. But then you hear other people, and they're angry, and they're bitter, and they're mad at this person, and they're mad at that person, and they're like, they will never be able to just move over, and they talk like they're... Life is over. Here's what I've learned as being a pastor and a chaplain is this. Your happiness, your joy, has no correlation to your experiences of life. Job 21, 25 says it is a choice. You have to make a choice. I I know this is hurtful. I know this is painful. But I have got to move on. It is your choice. Listen, I've done... I've done mission work in third world countries and a blessing for them is finding a puddle of water on the side of the road that is clean. A blessing for them is just like a bottle of water, clean water. And you know what? A lot of those people have more joy and more happiness than the average American. Man, I've been with people with a terminal illness. I've been with people facing crisis and tragedy in their life. I've shown up to hospital. I've shown up to their home. And they ended up encouraging me But I've seen other people that have it all by American standards. A job and a house and vacation and kids and health and all that other stuff. And they're angry and they're bitter. You have to choose. And let let, let me tell you, if, if you choose bitterness and if you choose not to move on, you are not only hurting yourself, but you're hurting everybody around you. You cannot be happy and bitter at the same time. And so here's the crazy deal. So, mourning pulls us closer to God. You know where bitterness takes us? Away from God. See, bitterness never draws you closer to Him. Bitterness never deepens you in Him. And so God's Word speaks real realistically and honestly about this issue of the dangers of bitterness in your life. And here's what he says in Hebrews 12, 14. Make every effort to live in peace with all men, to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it, so in the Greek, it's really strong. Watch out for, guard yourself, protect yourself. It means to be on guard daily. See to it that no one misses the grace of God, and that here we go, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and to defile many. And here's what I've learned. You can look normal on the outside, And there is this raging bitterness in your life that is destroying you. Oh, and the Bible says it not only will destroy you, but it will destroy those people around you, right? I mean, you can look normal on the outside and like you have it all together until out of bitterness people start making comments. I can't believe what he did to me. I can't believe what she did to me. I am so angry, I could kill someone. You know what? If I run into that person again, if I run into her, if I run into him, I don't know what, I, I don't know what I'm going to say. After what they've done to me, 
I wouldn't be surprised if they go through a great tragedy in their life. To pay them back for what they did to me. You can look normal on the outside. And you can have this bitter root growing in your life that is not only destroying you, but it's destroying all of those around you. That word defile means to pollute, contaminate, or stain. Your bitterness will pollute your relationships, will stain your... Your bitterness will contaminate, contaminate your whole household. It's, it's an interesting thought when he uses the word picture that a bitter root grows up. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever dealt with a root before in your, in your yard or in your garden or whatever, but, but you know this, right, that a root will grow anywhere it has to to sustain life for the tree or the plant. I mean, a bitter root will take out all the moisture that that tree needs and, and, and grass will not be able to grow around it and will not be able to sustain life. Fact is, a root will create an own direction for themselves, right? Uh, we have some neighbors that live across the street from us and, and they planted this tree and they planted the tree years back. It was a beautiful tree and, and at the time when they planted the tree, they probably thought, no big deal. But 10 or 15 years later, the root of that tree has grown up under their driveway, right near where the garage meets the driveway. And it has actually slowly over time to where they probably didn't even notice at first. At first, it's just a simple crack to where it lifted the garage, the driveway up about 18 inches to where, I mean, to where you almost need four-wheel drive to get into their garage to where one day, because what? A bitter root will grow up to defile many. It will contaminate the house. To where now the garage door doesn't shut properly. If they allow it to keep going, it's going to crack the foundation. Listen, bitterness in your life will destroy the foundations of your life. It will destroy the foundations of your family. They're not going to be able to use that driveway as they once did. fact is, bitterness in your life will not allow you to move forward in your life. Because it's so strong and it's so deep. See, See, bitterness... Bitterness destroys. Bitterness is destructive. Bitterness will destroy your life. See, bitterness in life has a negative result, and it never produces good results. And that's why a bitter person can be overly critical. You ever been around that person? It doesn't matter where they go. They can find fault with everything and everyone and every situation. You can look normal on the outside, and you can look like you have it all together, but that bitter person, whether they go to church, whether they go to the uh, workplace, whether they go into their home, whether they go to the mall, they can pick out, they can find faults. See, a bitter person is quickly overly critical because here's the deal. A bitter person, they're looking through life through a lens of hurt and pain. And you know what they see? They see nothing but fault. And so... With bitter people, here's the crazy thing about bitter people. Bitter people will write off whole people groups. That man, that husband that has been, been betrayed by a wife or a female will say, all women are bad. They just want to take you for everything you're worth. They just want to destroy you that all women are bad and you cannot trust them. A wife that has been betrayed or hurt by a husband, if she's not careful after divorce, well, you know what? Write off a whole people group of men and say, you know what? All men are evil. All men are abusive. All men are hurtful. 
I'm telling you, this issue of bitterness will grow up and defile many. And if you're not careful, it will allow you to write off innocent people. It will allow you and cause you to write off a group of people that are totally innocent. And I've had people and I've talked to people and say, you know what, I'll never be a member of another church. I'll never be active in another church. Why? Because of a bitter root in their life and they've written off every other church. But they say, you don't understand, I went through a church split. I went through church hurt. I went through church pain. I'm not doing that anymore. See, the problem with this issue of bitterness is bitter people do not know they're bitter because they're so convinced they're right. They can't see the wrong in their life. They can't see any of that because this issue, this, listen, the longer the root grows in your life, I hate to tell you this, the more difficult it is to remove. This tree that's been there 10 or 15 years, they're going to have to get a contractor in there. They're going to have to jackhammer out to drive. The driveway has to go. Maybe some of the foundation of the house has to go. Someone has to come in. It's going to cost them a lot of money to remove a tree and a driveway and all the other stuff. And so, but the physical recovery is always easier than emotional recovery. The physical recovery is, hey, call a contractor. It's going to cost us some money, but you know what? In a week or two weeks or three weeks or whatever, it'll be done. The emotional recovery always takes longer. Can I tell you what will bring you emotional recovery? Can I tell you how to get that bitter root out of your life? One word, forgiveness. I mean, look at this in Hebrews, uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness. In in the Greek, and I know we love the Greek, and you know the definition of that word all? It means all. Everything. Don't get rid of, just get rid of the bitterness that you agree with. It says get rid of all bitterness, get rid of all hurt, get rid of all pain and wrath and, and anger and clamor and slander to be put away from you along with malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Watch this. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You know what gets bitterness? And I know it's hard. I mean, I've had to walk through this. Personally, in my life, years back. See, see, I was raised in Texas, and I don't know if you guys were taught this, but I know we were taught this. We were taught the golden rule. And the golden rule is this, do unto others as you do unto them, right? As you would have them do unto, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Treat others the way you want to be treated. You know, can I tell you that? That's wrong. That's not even biblical. That's not even close to being biblical. You know why? Because it makes you the authority. It makes you the, the measure it makes you the, like the perfect one that I know how to treat everybody. and Just treat everybody the way that I want to be treated. That's not even biblical. Can we just get a God thought here for a second? You know what his word says? Treat everyone the way God has treated you. And how did he treat you? He forgave you. He forgave you of everything. He forgave you of things that were premeditated. He gave, forgave you of things that were deep offenses to him that you treat others the way God has treated you, and that means that you forgive them, that you learn to forgive them. And here's the crazy thing that, man, this issue of unforgiveness, this issue of forgiveness, there are no exceptions. Can I tell you this? That if you allow that bitter root to grow in your life, You are allowing that person to abuse you and control you every day of your life. And you get rid of it. See, here's the crazy thing about bitterness. This is what maybe will help you identify it in your life. 
Bitterness keeps all records of wrongs. Bitterness keeps a list. Man, I used to have a, 10, 15 years back, I had a legal pad that I, I wrote mine out of offenses that were done to me so that when I met them again and I saw them again, I said, I was afraid I'd forget one. You know what 1 Corinthians says? Love keeps no records of wrong. Man, I'm telling you. Life is uncertain. Eternity is not. Unforgiveness in your life cannot be allowed to live another day because it's destroying you. To help me, one thing I did was learn to pray for them. It won't change them, and it didn't change them. But it changed me. And when I was able to forgive them, I mean, that root of bitterness came out of my life, and I just, I just changed. When you go through tragedy and you go through crisis in life, you've you got to accept what you cannot change. There are so many people, the reason they're bitter is they're trying to change the past like they could. Out of Job's life, you not only accept the things that you cannot change, but you look forward and you, you focus on not what is lost, but what is left. You focus on the relationships and you focus on Him. The last thing is this, is God is pleased when we mourn and God is pleased when we encourage one another and, and God is pleased when we get rid of bitterness and God is pleased when we reflect on what is important. There's something about tragedy that has a way of clarifying values. There's something about tragedy when we all gather together and someone's able to speak hope into the situation. And aren't you guys so proud of Jerry Moore and her leadership? <laughs> that when she just speaks, she just brings hope and she just brings encouragement and confidence because of who she is and because of Christ in her life. There's a difference, right? And there's something about tragedy that just allows you to clarify your values and what's important. I mean, Karen and I were talking on, on I think it was Friday night, and we're, we're watching the news and we're watching everything that's going on. And, and we says, okay, okay, so if we got evacuated, what would we take? You know what it came down to? Memories. Videos of, of our girls and videos of our family and pictures and, and maybe some things in our life that have deep memories. I watched the interview of a, of a young couple that, that lost their home and they were evacuated and one of the reporters asked them, so, so can we ask you, what did you take with you? And you know what it was? It was memories. It was some, some pictures and it was some movies and, and it was... Uh, it was a, a, a bedspread that her mom had made that had deep emotional meaning. It was memories. See, there's something about crisis. There's something about tragedy that just reminds us that our life isn't about possessions. Something deeper than that. I mean, Apostle Paul learned that it's about relationships, that relationships matter. Here's what it says in Philippians. By whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. 
What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I now consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. You know what he's saying? He says all the things that I once thought were important and valuable and priceless and didn't want to get a scratch on and uh, wanted to keep it shiny and polished and all of that and invest all that stuff in. You know what I learned? It's not important. What's important is the relationships. What is important is health in my family. Can you lose a home? Absolutely. Can you lose a job? Can you lose a career? career? You bet you can. Can you lose your marriage? Unfortunately, yes. Can you lose your health? Yes. Can you lose your relationship with God? Thank you. No. No one can take that away from you. No, the fact is, you can't, when, when you have a relationship with him, he says he puts you in the palm of his hands and you cannot even jump out. No one can take you out. That's what's important. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? I'm about ready to guide you in a prayer and then, and then I'm going to pray for all of us. But the first prayer is this. Man, I, I just have this burden that there are people in this room that are dealing with bitterness and unforgiveness. And you've got your list. Uh, you, you know who's hurt you. You remember it. And it is, you know it's defiling your life. And you know it's, it is just causing you great difficulty. And so if that is you this morning and you want to move forward and you want to start with this emotional healing, would you make this your prayer as I pray these words? Here's what the, script, here, here's what the prayer is. This is, Dear God, I've messed up a lot of things in my life, and I've had some losses, and today I start the rebuilding process with you in charge. I want to pour out my heart to you. You know how I feel better than anyone else, and I need you in my life. Lord, I don't want to be a bitter person. I want to be a better person. Lord, would you forgive me for not trusting you, for, and would you forgive me for hurting others? Help me to forgive those who have hurt me. Help me to remember that life is not the accumulation of things, but the fulfilling of your purposes for me. Lord, I want to let go of my pride and my fear that has kept me from letting others get close to me. Help me to get into a life group and come into community with other believers that can speak truth in my life. And most of all, Jesus, teach me to rely on you moment by moment so I can know your your peace and hope and courage and wisdom and strength. In Jesus' name, amen.